The In Conversation podcast series with author Nigel Beckles. Welcome to the podcast. Please like the podcast and subscribe to this channel. Thank you. Have you experienced several failed relationships or been through a divorce? How can you avoid making the same mistakes again? How to avoid making the big relationship mistakes is out now. Hi, my name is Nigel Beckles. My new book is packed with practical and common sense strategies that you can use to make better relationship choices. Now you can discover the dangerous myths about love. If your relationship expectations are realistic, why you could be falling in love for all the wrong reasons. How to avoid making the big relationship mistakes. It's a book that could change your life. Available from Amazon.co.uk. Kindle version also available. The very best way to promote your podcasts. Podpage makes it easy to create a podcast website with just a few clicks. Every page is optimized to be found on Google and it stays up to date forever. For more information visit podpage.com. The future of podcast promotion. Get ready for takeoff. Welcome back to my In Conversation podcast series. My guest for this episode is an American entrepreneur and author, Janice McLean Deloach. Hi, Janice. Welcome to my podcast series. How are you? Hi, Nigel. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Where do you live? I am in Maryland, in the USA. So did you grow up there? I did. Okay. And what was it like? Well, years ago, it was really fun to me. And one thing I like about Maryland and the States is the seasons. And I feel like my childhood was wonderful. And I had wonderful parents who were both gone now. But um, growing up in Maryland and in the USA, for me, I guess it's been wonderful because I don't really have any other experiences to compare it to. Now, I think the climate and the culture in the USA is not the greatest, but I think sometimes people have to make their own magic in their own space, wherever they are. So that's how I do it. So you're involved in business. What made you become interested in becoming an entrepreneur? So my family background is one that always fostered entrepreneurship and uh, business creation in that my father owned his own taxi cab in addition to working for Bethlehem Steel and uh, the Coppers Company, which at the time were two of the largest ship building companies uh, in Maryland. And he also owned his own cab, taxi cab on the side to make money on weekends. And then my mom ran um, our family restaurant, which was called McLean's Carryout. And she recruited my grandmother and all of my aunts and one uncle and me and my niece and my father. And we were the staff. And so I learned firsthand about being an entrepreneur and uh, working with family and working with Black people and being a part of the community and giving back to the community and having the community support you and uh, learned the ins and outs of what a business could look like uh, in terms of a family enterprise uh, as well uh, also. And then my niece and and myself, our jobs, we were young then, was to fill the potato chip rack and fill the soda machine. And uh, my father was the first person to fire me and my niece because he said we drank up more of the sodas and ate up more of the chips. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> then we put on the on the shelves. So he was like, you girls are out of here. You're not really doing any work, you know. But it, those were fun times for me. They really were. And I learned from that. And then, you know, the other thing, my dad was always really, he was really good about saying this when my mother would complain about because my mother used to work for Reed's department store it was a um like a lunch counter in Maryland and it was somewhat segregated still and um she got fired because she would always go out of her way to make sure the black people who came to the restaurant were treated fairly and I guess they just really didn't like the fact that she always did that for black people and so they fired her uh, and this was when they started working. Well, a couple of years went by and then she started doing her own, the restaurant, our family restaurant. And, but my father would say, whenever my mother would complain about something or me or my niece, it was a house full of women, you know? So he would say, you know, you girls are always cackling about something. Stop whining about things if you're not willing to fix the problem. If you're not going to solve the problem or come up with a solution, stop complaining about it, you know? And that just really always stuck with me. Every time there was something that was an issue or something I felt should be or wasn't be or should be fixed, I always hear in the back of my mind and my father saying, you know, hey, don't complain about it if you're not willing to fix it. And that just has kind of always been my model, even in terms of me being an entrepreneur and, and being in business and uh, creating businesses myself. So you started the pantyhose vending machine business back in the 1990s. Why did you decide to start that endeavor? Wow. Okay. So the pantyhose vending machines came out of my being an entrepreneur who had started out as a model. Modeling was really my first passion and then came music. And um, when I went to the John Casablanca's modeling school, uh, I learned at every opportunity that came up usually was not one that required or wanted black models, uh, particularly black female models who were five foot four, which is what I was. And out of my frustration for that, I created my own modeling agency called Visa Fashion Agency and recruited all types of models, Asian, black, white, males, women. I had the first full plus models before, you know, being a plus model was all the rage. I was doing that in 1990 when people would not even want them in our shows. And uh, I had sponsors. One of them was a clothing store who gave me clothes and they said, well, we don't really want you to show plus size models in your, in your show, even though they sold clothing that was for plus size models. So I always uh, believed in doing something that was diverse and encompassed all people. And so um, I started with the modeling agency. I created, I then moved into casting because I found that I didn't have opportunities for the models to, that I had trained to actually be employed. It was the same issue I was having with the modeling agency. So I created um, casting opportunities and ended up working with different casting directors and casting companies like Moran and Moran, who actually did all of the casting for The Wire and Homicide and Life on the Streets and the movie John Tucker Must Die. And, uh, and they really really were great clients for me. And do you remember Candid Camera? Remember that show? Yeah, we had a virgin here in the UK. Yes, Yeah, yeah. Well, Candid Camera also was a really great company for me to work with in that they hired a lot of my models. And um, I sent quite a few uh, actors through them who placed as well. So I ended up doing the 
modeling and then the modeling agency and then I did casting and then I went into event planning because again I wanted to showcase the models so I've created a program called City Search which would allow me and my modeling troupe to move throughout different cities and do moving fashion shows and uh, give them other op- opportunities for exposure and so then that led into me doing the pantyhose vending machines that's why that idea came came about. Uh, The models would always have holes or runs in their pantyhose. And I was spending a lot of money buying hosiery. And I'm like, oh, this is crazy. So uh, I thought about creating my own line of hosiery, which I did. And then also at that time, I was still working part time. So uh, on my way to an interview one day, I actually got a hole in my pantyhose and the, and I know for you guys, you're like, oh, great. I don't want to hear this pantyhose story, but really that's what happened. And so when I was going to the interview, I had to decide, do I go and change and make myself look professional or do I go to the interview with the hole in the pantyhose and be on time? Um, I chose to be on time because I was a man who was interviewing me. I figured he probably wouldn't care anyway. He probably wouldn't even notice, you know? So, and even if he did, he probably thought, well, you know, she really needs this job. The poor thing is raggedy when she came in here. So, you know, so I went that way and I actually did get the job. And the more I thought about what a convenience it would be to have a machine in the bathroom with product in it for women like me who would have, um, uh, you know, a tough time with the hosiery, it would solve some problems. And so, um, and, I, and I was right about it at that time. It was a million dollar idea. It was a great idea. And I thought, and then I had people who were like, oh, this is really a wonderful idea. But the issue was getting money to continue to get the machines made. Now, one good thing that did come out of the pantyhose vending machines was that one of my clients was the owner, he still is the owner of the Baltimore Ravens football team, Stephen Bashotti who also owns a staffing company called Aerotech and some other office buildings that have a lot of women in them. And so they saw me on a morning talk show and loved the idea and, you know, reached out to me to get my products in their building. And they were really a great client for me for, for a long time. They were really supportive of me being a woman uh, and a black woman, which I found very interesting because their culture was, uh, didn't seem like it would support minority women entrepreneurs that much, but I was wrong. They did. And um, they were a great client for me. So I have to say shout out to Stephen Bashadi and Pam Lund, who uh, were the people who were involved in that deal for me in terms of working with his company, you know, Stephen Bashadi, the owner of the NFL Ravens football team. And so I, I, you know, kudos to him for supporting women in that way. So I thought that was really cool. That's uh, how I ended up doing the Panios machines. And they were one of my first clients, but then I also had the airport. I had a lot of black churches and uh, it did really well. But what happened with that business was that I had a hard time continuing to raise capital to produce the machines and acquire products to stock the machines and pay people to actually maintenance the machines because I was still working full time. And um, that led to TV and radio. So Janice, you published a book back in 2017. What is it called and what is it about? Uh, It's called The Autobiography of an Entrepreneur. Uh, The Autobiography of an Entrepreneur. And that book is uh, my take on my journey as an entrepreneur, uh, as a woman, and then as a minority woman and business. Uh, And I guess really my experience is in the United States alone. And so I 
have uh, tidbits in there, um, just some little nuggets of knowledge that I've received from people like Magic Johnson, uh, from Bethany Frankel, from Skinny Girl Margarita. I have, strangely, information in there, quote, from um, Usher. I have uh, stories from uh, Linda McMahon, who owns the WWE, uh, mm-hmm. formally, and was just recently the SBA administrator under the Trump administration. But when I met Linda McMahon, she was a mentor for a women's group out of DC. And I actually was one of her mentees. So uh, she introduced me to Bo Derek and Marla Maples, <laughs> which is interesting. The, 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 the later former Mrs. Trump. My encounters with them in terms of my products and what they thought about my products, uh, in terms of what it was like to be a woman who was embarking on being an entrepreneur and a business owner and business creator, tips and mishaps to avoid um, that they may have known about. And one piece that I really loved from Magic Johnson was, again, reminded me a lot of what my father said. He said, stop waiting for people to bail us out. You know, you can finance your own businesses and, and here's how you do it. You form a group with five people. Maybe you guys put in $50 a week and each person gets a turn, you know, monthly supporting their business. And um, it's a great idea. And if you have the right people who are willing to do that, it can work. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes you're in groups with people who don't have that kind of capital or money or, you know, and they're working, they need every penny. And I do understand that because I've been in that situation too. One chapter deals specifically with uh, the Small Business Administration and SCORE, the Service Corporation of Retired Executives, and Ms. Bidfa, the Minority Business Small, the Minority Small Business Development Funding Authority. Now get it, Minority Small Business Funding Authority. And um, I really talk about my disappointment with all of those agencies because really all of them fail people. And whenever you hear people, they always like, oh, whenever you're starting a business, everybody tells you to run to the SBA or run to SCORE and, and the Chamber of Commerces. But when you have an agency, and I don't know how it works in the UK, but here in the USA, when you go into a small business administration office or a score office or a community business development office, they'll have you fill out these forms and tell you, you know, you give them all of your ideas and you tell them what you need. And they'll sit down and listen to you, but you're expected to kind of formulate your own business plans and and economic development packages and things like that. And they will assist you a little bit in that way. But when you leave, nobody knows what's happened with you. Were Were you successful? Did you fail? What did you need? What could they help you with? And now if you're an agency that gets $20 million a year, and I'm just using that as a hypothetical number, some of them do get 20 million. Some of those offices get 10 million. Some of them get 50 million, depending on where you are in the States. If you're in California, you're probably getting a hundred million dollars for your SBA offices in that state. If you're in Iowa, you might be getting 5 million. So it really depends on where you are. But When you get that kind of money and you have me fill out forms, you can tell me how many people, we had 100 people come to our office this month. And then six months, you can't tell me what happened with those 100 people. Who's checking that? Why don't you know the answer to that? Why don't you know whether these companies were successful or they failed? There's no legal assistance to help people. If you're forming a company that is going to create jobs and and foster growth and, and, and help to uh, stimulate the economy, 
And there is no attorney to help you set up your business. There's no seed money to help you even just order business cards or get a printer. Why don't these offices have that information? That Those two pieces are very important pieces to businesses who are trying to get started. And then, you know, again, you have Chamber of Commerce. You guys should have some kind of relationship with somebody who makes business cards to maybe partner with you across the country and say, look, you have your SBA, you have your small businesses or, you know, your upstarts or people who are thinking about business. If they're interested in getting business cards or business forms or folders or whatever, we'll give them a discount because they came through you. So they don't even give you referrals to companies that can even help you get off the ground. So I'm very frustrated with that. And I talk a lot about that in the book. I also talk about the trademark laws being old on the book books and how companies like Entrepreneur Magazine, the magazine who is supposed to support entrepreneurs, is doing everything in essence but that. They are suing entrepreneurs around the country for the use of the word entrepreneur. Now, why do I know this? Because I had a TV program called Entrepreneur's Edge TV that Entrepreneur Magazine and GoDaddy, the domain registration company, GoDaddy gave my domain name that I had paid for for 10 years called Entrepreneur's Edge TV to Entrepreneur Magazine, who sued me in court and knew that I wouldn't win because I couldn't afford the litigation because they wanted to go into television. It wasn't because I was using the word entrepreneur, which is what they said. It was because they wanted to go into television and they didn't understand that I did have a trademark for Entrepreneur's Edge TV. And so if you are a magazine who is a print publication, you always have been, and now you see the world is changing and video and television are the way to go, you miss the boat and you find that there is a lady with a program that relates to entrepreneurs, you then become an infringement on my trademark. So to get rid of me, what they did was challenged my trademark in court. They knew that they were going to win. They told me so in an email. If you take us to court, we're going to win because they knew that I couldn't afford to fight them with the legislation or the litigation. Uh, with the litigation. The legislation was on their side and they knew this. This is why they could blatantly say that to me. And those same laws that are on the books back then, which is probably about 10 or 12 years ago, are the same laws that are on the books today. So when people are fussing about Black Lives Matter, not fussing, but protesting, it's very important. Black lives do matter, but economic support matters as well. And in terms of businesses, when you look at this pandemic right now in, in the country and in the world, Black businesses were hit really, really, really hard without any support because the PPE money, Paycheck Protection Employment money, went to companies who were large companies who had established relationships with banks because they had large amounts of revenue that they were depositing into these banks. So when the banks started handing out money, they handed them out to the companies that were giving them a lot of money. And the smaller companies on with 10 or less employees really were left out of the conversation. And most of them were mom and pop shops or companies that had maybe one to five employees who really needed that money, but didn't stand a chance because all the people at the top got the money. So what happens to those companies? I mean, you see what's happening around the world right now. They're all going out of business. They're closing up. And some of the ones who were trying to hold on by a thread, like JCPenney's, Macy's, Pier One Imports, they're all 
folding. And those were larger companies. So when they say, and when I say they, I mean the Small Business Administration says they want to help small businesses. Well, even that classification is wrong. A small business with 500 or fewer employees, I don't know about you, but to me, 500 is not small. One to 10 is small. So the book talks about that too, just the way uh, the laws on the books that relate to entrepreneurs are set up. And more importantly, minority women and minorities uh, in business, the laws are skewed against us. So Black Lives Matter, but Black businesses matter too, because they stimulate the economy and the communities around the world for everybody. And we can protest and we can march in the street until we're blue in the face. But there are a lot of people who know they don't care about us marching because they know that you have to change the laws and the policies. And this is how you change the world. And so it is important to have your voice heard. It is important to protest if you don't like something peacefully. It is important to stand up for what you believe in. I don't go into that much detail in the book about economic disparities against minorities and women in business and trademark legislation that's old, but I do talk a lot about it. That's really something I'm working on my second book, and that's definitely something I'm going to spend a lot of time talking about in this next book. But not only do I want to just talk about it, but I want people, I want to encourage people to stand up and support and help me get some of these laws changed as well too. And we have to do that by going to the senators and the Congress people and to our council members. And, you know, we can follow that up with protesting and marching. So on July the 7th this year, which is Blackout Tuesday in the USA, you launched your website, The Black Shopping Network. But first of all, what is Blackout Tuesday? My understanding of Blackout Tuesday is where uh, Black Americans, and well, not just Black Americans, but Black people, Black and brown people, are supposed to not spend any money on that day, which I thought was a little bit crazy because not only should we just not spend money on that day, but you should spend money on that day. You should spend it with brown and black businesses and women-owned businesses and put your money there. So again, it's about economic empowerment, which is important. And so on July the 7th, 2020, I launched the com to create a platform for black and brown people that would serve as a voice for people who have been starving for their own identity and left out of the conversation for so long on a national level when you look at shopping networks. In the USA, there are three major shopping networks, and none of them really support minorities or women-owned companies. And I know this because one of the reasons why the Black Shopping Networks, with an S, dot com, was launched is out of my frustration for trying to get my book on one of those shopping networks. And not only did they, this particular company, not take my book or my product, which I feel is pretty decent. This particular network never even sent a note to say, you know, thank you for your submission. You know, um, we appreciate the fact that you thought of us and you would like us to list your company. Just nothing. So not only did you not take my product and they have the right to not take the product because maybe it's not what they want, but you could have at least acknowledged the fact that I existed by just sending a note saying, thank you for sending this. But at this time, this product is not something we're looking for. And so I was really frustrated about that. And, and, and the more I thought about that now, the black shopping networks.com 
is an idea that I actually thought about about three, three or so years ago. But for various reasons that were going on for me at the time, it just kind of always was on the back burner. So this last time when I really felt like I was almost begging for a platform for my products, I got frustrated. And so again, I go back to what my father told me, don't sit around and complain about something unless you're willing to change it. So I said, you know what, this is the first time to dust off the blackshoppingnetworks.com and put this idea in motion. And why not do it on July 7th, 2020, Blackout Tuesday, which is when it was launched. Now, what makes the Black Shopping Networks, and that's the Black Shopping Networks, N-E-T-W-O-R-K-S.com special? Instead of me, I'm not a corporation or a boardroom full of people in suits sitting around a table trying to think of a way to get Black people and brown people to shop with me now. I am a Black woman who is an entrepreneur, serial entrepreneur, who knows what it's like to struggle to create a product and to have a website and to find the money to pay to be on that website and pay for marketing and advertising. And so what's great about the Black Shopping Networks is that for $75 a month, we do all of that for you. We advertise your company. We market your company. It's $75 a month. You have your own website, your own platform. And when you are on the blackshoppingnetworks.com, if you make $50 that month or $500 that month, all of that money is your money. We have an, uh, an artificial intelligence component on the back end. And then we also give you the platform to have your website made. And we have people who can do the website for you. Now, that is an additional charge. But you have to have a website to be on the blackshoppingnetworks.com. So uh, the other thing is we give you 20% uh, when your first customer signs up to the blackshoppingnetworks.com as a shopper or whoever signs up as a shopper, they get a 20% discount. It's called the BSN coin. It's a black digital coin that is in their online account that they can use to shop at any of the vendors. We have vendors and merchants that you normally would not see on any of the other platforms. Uh, Well, they're thinking about it now, and I have um, a suspicion that it probably has something to do with the blackshoppingnetworks.com being launched, that now there are other shopping networks who are looking at promoting and, and supporting black businesses, and one of them had 13 black businesses that they just featured. Now, this particular shopping network has been in business for over 20 years. And they had 13 businesses to feature. I've got 25. I launched in July. Now that right there tells you their support for black and brown businesses, right? And when you're on these other networks, you have to have $10,000 in product or more, or you're paying a really hefty fee just to be profiled on their network. We're not doing that yet. Now, at some point, there will be fees to profile your you on the TV network. We haven't gotten to that point yet. And there are other opportunities to have your products featured on the blackshoppingnetworks.com. But if you don't want to do that, you're paying a flat rate of $75 just to be listed on the blackshoppingnetworks.com. And we market and advertise you. Now, if you're on Amazon, because some people said, I've had people say to me, well, it's like, you're like black Amazon. Yeah, you can think of it like that, but we're better than Amazon. And here's why. If I say, hey, I'm Nigel and I have my products on Amazon. People only hear Amazon. Oh, Nigel is on Amazon. But when you're on the blackshoppingnetworks.com, 
It's Nigel Beckles products is on the blackshoppingnetworks.com. So the difference is that Nigel Beckles and the blackshoppingnetworks.com are partners, not Nigel's just on Amazon, go through this big long list of everything else and see if you can find them in between fruit and apparel. So this is why the blackshoppingnetworks.com is better. And the other thing is that the blackshoppingnetworks.com will integrate within the community. We will support the community. We will give back to the community. We will create projects for entrepreneurs and businesses in the communities. I can't really say that any of the shopping networks that I know of have done that. Well, that all sounds very interesting and intriguing. So Janice, how can people contact you? So uh, you can go to theblackshoppingnetworks.com. And that's the black shopping, N-E-T-W-O-R-K-S.com. You can also reach me at itsjanice.media. It's www.itsjanice.media or through my EPK, www.itsjaniceepk.com. www.itsjaniceepk.com and send me a message directly through there. Or you can um, follow me on the social media platforms. You notice that I said to go to my own platforms first, right? <laughs> okay. So <laughs> we don't have enough time to talk about that one right now because I do believe that, you, you know, I'm going to ask people to support the blackshoppingnetworks.com and it's janiceepk.com and it's janice.media because when I tell you to go hit me up on Facebook, I'm sending you from my platform to their platform. And they're counting all of those people and all of those numbers and their advertisers are giving them money based on the people who are clicking on those ads when you're on Facebook. Janice is not benefiting from that. Neither is Nigel, neither is anybody else who's on their platform. If you're looking to to monetize it as a business person. But if you're somebody who just just wants to connect with friends and you just, uh, it's free promotion. Yes, it's great for that. So in that vein, I am on Facebook at Janice McLean Deloach and Facebook, it's Janice W-O-L-B-1010. By the way, I have a radio show. It's called It's Janice. It's on the Radio One Networks on Wednesday from 4.30 to 5 p.m. And uh, my Facebook page is It's Janice W-O-L-B as in boy, 10.10 a.m. So you can find me there. I'm on Instagram, Janice McLean Deloach. I'm on Twitter at Janice on TV. And I'm on YouTube. Uh, it's Janice and Janice McLean Deloach. Well, you're certainly very easy to find. Janice, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Please like and subscribe. Another In Conversation podcast coming soon.